Amen. All right, Bobby, you ready for this guy? 20 questions. You guys like that show, 20 questions? All, none of you? Forget that. I said that. But anyway, let's go. See if you can guess who this is. He was not only a brilliant author, songwriter, and theologian, but many consider him to be the father of the Protestant uh, movement, which give birth to you and I, modern-day Christianity, evangelical Christianity. But it wasn't always this way. He was born in 1483 in Germany. At a time, believe it or not, it was actually taught that those who were serious about salvation needed to... No, not there, not to the cross. You need to become a monk and start doing good works. So that's what he was told. That's what he did. However, he still found himself troubled in his soul about his salvation. And so he, he desperately tried the system of works that the Roman Catholic Church told him. That's how you obtain salvation. But he still knew deep down inside he fell miserably short. And so finally, it was during this time of personal torment and doubt that he was trying to be good enough for God, which you can't do, by the way, Okay, that this man came across the fateful words in the Bible, specifically the book of Romans, and this was it. Quote, the just shall live by faith. Suddenly, in an instant, just like that, he realized it was God who makes us right through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross, not our own self-sacrificial works, as was taught by the Catholic religion. And so like a man who was set free from jail overnight, this man became a champion of the amazing, glorious message in the Bible. And he began to spread it as fast as he could to anyone he could, but that still wasn't enough. Soon he not only proclaimed that which was true, but he began to denounce that which was false and leading people in the wrong direction. In fact, one day he published 95 objections against the Roman Catholic Church and nailed it to the church facility doors for a debate, okay? Well, as you might expect, if you know the history, uh, the Catholic Church didn't like this, so they tried to silence him, and that didn't work. So then they tried to get rid of him, and that didn't work. So then they tried to get him to recant and denounce his teachings. Then they just flat out tried to kill him. Okay, but this one man, in the face of all these threats, simply made his infamous reply in front of these people trying to kill him. Quote, unless I am convinced by the testimony of the scriptures, I am bound by the scriptures I have quoted. And my conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and I will not recant anything since it is neither safe nor right to go against conscience. God help me. Amen. And later after that, this man was whisked away by some of his supporters, kept in a safe environment where he could continue to proclaim the message of freedom through Jesus Christ that had been shackled for centuries through the Roman Catholic Church. The man's name, of course, is Martin Luther. Wow. Now, folks, I don't know about you, but I say after Martin Luther got saved, he had a pretty cool life as a Christian. Amen? I mean, that's awesome, right? That's what we all pray for, right? In fact, I would say, now that is a life worth living for. Amen? Okay, but well, once again, we know the thing. We've got a problem today in the American church. Even though God's the same God, and we're just as much his children as Martin Luther, right? Okay, hey, here's the problem. We, we as Christians today, we read the Bible in one hand, but we take a look at our lives in the other, and we go, hey, man, it's, it's not matching up. It doesn't compute. Why is it these people like Martin Luther, after they get saved, they get to have this amazing, fruitful, awesome walk with Jesus Christ, and here I am fumbling around in the dark. I, I don't have a life worth living for. I got a, I got a life worth giving up, Okay. But folks, this is the good news. It doesn't have to be that way. That kind of life worth living for, like Martin Luther had, is available to every single Christian. Once again, turn to somebody and say, hey, that means you. Okay? It is. We're just as much his children. God's the same God. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that's why we're going to continue on our study, a life worth living for. Okay? And what we're doing is we're taking a look at the different keys, I believe, scripturally, are pivotal if we're going to have that amazing walk fruitful walk, awesome walk, historical walk with Jesus Christ like Martin Luther had, okay? Now, the last six times we saw that first key to unlocking that life 
worth living for is when you and I discover how to experience God's joy. And not just once in a while, but to maintain it every single day. Why? To be those positive advertisements for Jesus Christ in these last days. As we saw before, the premise is when you say, hey, come to Jesus, it's great. But then you walk around, it's not a good witness. As if being a Christian is bad and sad and depressing. No, it's not. Right? And we saw Jesus, the good news is, this isn't fake, this is real, this is a gift from him. He's already given us his joy. Don't let the world short circuit away from you. We saw the first uh, half of the study, the second half we saw there's a way you maintain it. Don't just stay away from the bad. Here's how you get it every single day. I didn't say it, God did. And we do that with our actions and last time by our moment to moment appreciation of what God has done for us. I don't care how bad it gets, with all due respect, what you're going through, what you've ever gone through, what you... Hey, did you guys really listen? This is an amazing thing. How many guys have ever gone through hard times? The rest of you are lying, okay? We all have, all right? How many guys right now, at least right now today, it's relatively good? Well, be encouraged. Hard times are coming sooner or later, right? They're coming back. That's just this side of heaven. Now, the great news is we can maintain the joy in the midst of it. It's like a moth to a flame when see people, they go through problems, we go through problems. But when you go through it with joy, that's awesome, right? How do you get that? Can I have that? Yeah, his name's Jesus, let me tell you. See, that's what we're missing. But we maintain it by our actions and our appreciation. And something as simple as this, hey, thank you, Jesus, for saving my soul. Anybody glad that all, not just some, all of your sins, past, present, future, even the ones you don't even know about, are forgiven? All right? You repeat that every day. Hey, it's kind of hard to get that smile off. Okay? Number two, what are we saved from? A mediocre life? No, we're saved from eternal damnation in hell. Thank you, God, for sparing my soul. You put those two together, it's the ultimate Happy peanut butter sandwich. <laughs> peanut butter, woo! Every day, wow, man! And God will use you when you share his amazing grace to the lost. Right? And it's all possible. We just have to do what God says to do to maintain it. Don't get sucked away by this world. It'll never happen. Listen to God and maintain it by your actions and appreciation, okay? But that's not all. The second key that we need to uh, unlock, so to speak, if we're going to have that life worth living for, is we not only need to learn how to experience God's joy, we need to experience his what? His peace, okay? You see, I've learned that that's just kind of half the battle, if you will, and being a positive witness for Jesus. We not only mess it up when we don't have his joy and we go walk around and act like it's a depressing, horrible thing to be a Christian, not a good advertisement, okay? But we can also mess it up by not having God's peace, okay? Has anybody noticed that our world is just a little bit frantic today? A little bit anxious, right? A little bit beside themselves, oh, right? Especially if you watch the news, right? Oh, that's one of the best ways to get peace, right? No, it's not. We'll get to that, Lord willing, next week, <laughs> right? Okay, but here's our chance. Here's our opportunity. But when you and I as Christians, when we're out there say, hey, come to Jesus. It's awesome. It's wonderful. And even though the world is literally going into the worst time in the history of mankind, according to Bible prophecy, you and I should be able to walk around in God's peace and say, hey, listen, you don't have to freak out. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be troubled. You can have peace right now through Jesus Christ. He's taking care of you. How many guys would say that's a great testimony? Yeah. Well, guess what? That's real. Just as much joy as we can have that kind of peace. Now, here's the irony, okay? Uh, the Bible says, as you and I as Christians, we should be the most, not just joyful, but the most, most uh, peaceful people on the planet. 
Why? Because just like joy, we'll get to in a second, God has already given us not just his joy, he's already given us his peace. And when you take a look at that word in the Greek for peace, it's awesome. This isn't just some worldly thing with strings that attach. This is absolutely real. It's not drug-induced. It's induced by the Spirit of God. And it's the Greek word erene. Let's say that. Thank you, Bobby. The rest of you, I don't know what you did. But anyway, that's right. Erene, right? And this is a cool word in the Greek when you start getting into it. And it literally means this. It means not just a, a calm. It's not that. It literally means a tranquilizing state of the soul. You get it? A tranquil, you know, like a tranquilizer, a tranquilizing state of the soul. In fact, it literally is in the Greek. It's a heavy-duty, powerful peace, right, that comes over you by the Spirit of God. It literally is if, not recommending this, please don't do this, as if if you were to give horse tranquilizer to a person, what happens? <laughs> I mean, and this is the word, right? Hey, I mean, your house is burning down before your eyes. Hey, praise God. Who's got the marshmallows? This is great, right? I mean, you, your car could be breaking down in the middle of the freeway. This kind of peace comes upon you. Hey, this is cool. You're waving at everybody. This is awesome, right? Uh, today, you could have unfortunately ran over your neighbor's cat on the way to the church, and you say, hey, praise God, I never like cats anyway. No, I'm just kidding about that last one. Okay, but the first two... Uh, <laughs> This is the great news, folks. I'm not making this up. This kind of peace, a tranquil, when our world's going nuts and crazy, you and I should be walking around. Hey, take a chill pill. In fact, turn to somebody and say that. Take a chill pill. Right? God is in control. And as Christians, we have erene. We have peace. That's a phenomenal witness in these days. Amen? Okay, but again... I'm not making this up. This is what he promised. He not only gave us his joy, he gave us his peace. It's right here. John 14. Open your Bibles. Okay. John 14. And let's take a look here. And of course, John was written by John. You guys are awesome. Uh, John 14. And uh, let's take a look there at verses 23 through 27. Of course, Jesus, <clears throat> once again, speaking here. And uh, again, this is just what's so awesome. I remember the, as a young Christian coming across these verses, it's just like, man, I, I, again, I, I thought just being rescued from hell was good enough. I thought just going to heaven as a gift from God was awesome enough. But what? It just keeps getting better, right? All the things that God does for us before we even get there, before we get to see him face to face. And this is one of those gifts. He gives us his peace, all right? And so let's tear it apart, he says. Verse 23, he says this. Jesus replied, he says, first of all, here's the rule. If anyone loves me, what are you going to do? Obey my teaching because you're trying to maintain your salvation and stuff. No, it's because you're so grateful that it is a gift from him. He did all the work from you and he did rescue you from hell by his mercy. What's the logical response? Hey, can I shine your shoes? Can I do, what do you want me to do? Anything? Love compels us. But if you love him, what do you do? What can I do? You obey his teachings, right? And well, by the way, which one of his teachings are for our bad? None. They're all for our good. So he says, if you love me, here's the issue. You're going to obey my teaching. My and listen, what's the side effect? My father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Do you get that? You get intimacy with who? God, the creator of the universe. I don't know about you, but that's kind of cool. I don't know that about you, but man, when you're going through hard times and you're going through some storms, right? And to know that God is right there with you, that kind of instills some, hey, it's going to be okay. Did you know that nothing's too big for God? Did you know his arm is not too short? Did you know that nothing is too difficult for him? Did you know what is impossible with us is possible with God? And he's right here with us. 
Okay, and it keeps getting better. So God, you're going to have this intimacy with God, the creator of the universe, okay? And, but here's the alternative. He who does not love me will not obey my teachings. And pay attention, because these words you hear, they're not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this, Jesus said, I've spoken while still with you. But he might be at the right hand of God the Father right now, but he's going to send somebody to be with us, okay? I'm going to send the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, and he'll teach you all things and remind you of everything I said to you. So you don't forget this amazing news. And then he says this. Erene. That's what I'm saying. I what? I leave with you. My peace, I what? Give to you. I don't give to you as the world gives, you know, strings attached, fake stuff. No, no, it's the real deal. Do not let your hearts be what, Christian, in these last days? Troubled. And do not be what? Do not be fearful or afraid, okay? So according to Jesus, I don't know how you get any clearer than this. It's exactly like he did with joy. It's like a double blessing, a double bonus on top of your cake or something. It's awesome. He said, if you would just come to me, if you're a true born-again Christian, and you're really thankful for what you've done, and if you come to me and you love me, which means you're going to obey me, you're going to have intimacy with me, and I'm going to give you something. I'm going to give you my peace, okay? In fact, it's so profound, it's so awesome that there really is Christian, no matter what goes on, you do not, you have permission from God. You don't have to be troubled anymore in life. You don't have to be worried. You don't have to be frantic. You don't have to be anxious. You don't, none of that stuff. You don't have to be like the world. And again, when you're not like the world and you're at peace, in our troubled world, that's a fantastic witness, isn't it? Okay, so certainly it's for us, but it's also that. But I want to break this down. I want to show you a couple of things that he says about this peace, okay, that I think we really need to understand, okay? One, you need to drill at home that this is a for sure, uh, for sure deal, Okay, what did he say there? He didn't say he might give us his peace, right? He didn't say, if you buy this book or go to this seminar, I'm going to think about possibly maybe giving you. No, no, when you do these 15 steps and you have to go. No, when you do these things and if you never do. He says, I give you my peace. If you're a born again Christian, God gives you his peace. Isn't that awesome? It's guaranteed. Second uh, thing that I want you to focus on there is the phrase, not just peace. He specifically spells it out. He says, my peace. My peace. Jesus speaking. Jesus' peace. Right? So that tells us this is not the same kind of phony baloney peace that doesn't work, fake peace from the world. This is the same kind of peace, listen, in the scripture that Jesus himself had. And when you read the scripture, Jesus had some crazy, awesome, wonderful peace. And he did go through a couple hard times. Have you noticed that? Right? Okay? The scripture says he's fully God and he's fully man. Right? We know that. Which means, yeah, Jesus, he wept. Jesus got hungry. Jesus got tired. But one thing you never, ever, ever, ever once see in the scripture about Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, the Prince of Peace, you never see him, no matter the hard time, what it is and when it comes, you never see him huddled in the corner going... I can't take this. Never once. And he went through some pretty rough times, serious times, not just with death threats and all kinds of things and all the hatred and and ultimately leading up to the cross. And it was, in fact, one of the uh, really interesting times, I don't have time to go too deep into it, but Matthew 8, if you want to read that later uh, today, uh, that's the account where they're in the boat on the lake there and here comes a horrible storm, right? Right? 
And the disciples are doing their best, trying to do their thing and whatever, and it ain't working, and here comes the waves. And what, and what do they start doing? Wow, a rain day, this is great, awesome. No, they're freaking out, right? And in fact, in the Greek there, it's like little girly screams. Oh! Right? <laughs> you didn't want to show that video to your buddies when you're done, right? <laughs> and then with these guys, oh! And, and then they go, Jesus, we're going to drown. Remember that story? We're going to drown. This really happened. We're going to drown. Oh, we're going to the boat. Oh. And what's Jesus doing? He's in the boat taking a nap. He's at perfect peace. It reminds me of the phrase, you know, he gets up and he calms the storm. Did you know in the Greek, gosh, I can't even move it. In the Greek, it was instantaneous. See, we think in that passage, we think, because he's God. And that's why they're free. They're, even the winds and the waves obey him. Because in the Greek, it literally means it happened just like that. When he said, be still, right? It instantly went calm. It didn't go like for half an hour in the waves. It was Sometimes God calms the storm. Sometimes he lets the storm rage but he calms his child. God is the God who's over any storm you go through in life. And Jesus is in the boat with us. And there's no need to react like the disciples. The Prince of Peace is there. He has the power. He might calm it, but he might let it rage, but you don't have to freak out. Now, here lies the problem, okay? Even though the scripture is very clear that the Prince of Peace himself, Jesus Christ, has already given us his peace, um, we experience it every single day. No, we don't, right? And that's the problem. And so I remember reading this as a new Christian. I go, well, why? And he didn't say maybe. He didn't say might. He said, if you've got to do this and this technique and all that. No. He said, I've already given it to you. So why, just like the, with the joy thing, why don't I experience it on a regular basis, okay? Well, thanks for asking, Bobby. It works well with my notes. Uh, we simply do what we do, the same thing with the joy. We allow the evil one, and I'll use that word because I really think this is part of his technique. We allow the evil one to trick us into doing things that, bang, short-circuit the peace of God that he's already given to us flowing through our lives. And that's what we're going to take a look uh, in this next study. And he does that in various ways. And the first way he does it is he gets us to have a misplaced mind. Your mind is in the wrong frame in order for the peace to continue to flow. That's all he's got to do, right? In fact, the Bible says if you would think about the right things, you're going to have God's peace on a regular basis, okay? In fact, let's take a look at that. Paul mentions this clearly in Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 through 9. He says, finally, brothers, okay, how many of you guys are serious about experiencing God's peace on a regular basis? Here's good news for you today. If this is all you got, this is it. I'm not making it up. This is God's solution to not having to be anxious and crazy and fearful and all that stuff. Finally, brothers, whatever is what? True, whatever is what? noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, what do you do? Think. That's your mind. Put that tape in your head, right? Okay, and Paul says, listen, I'm telling you it works. Whatever you learned or received or heard from me, seen in me, put it into practice. Have you noticed I'm not freaking out? Guess what? This is what I'm doing. It works. Do it. Okay, why? What's the payoff? And the God of peace will be with you. It's right here in the mind. Right here, Paul lays it on the line. You can't get any clearer than this. When we have our minds focused on that, which is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy, i.e. what? What? Where do those things come from? That's the things of God. 
Because the things in the world are not true and lovely and right and pure and praiseworthy and excellent. Can we agree on that? So what are these things? These are the things of God. And here's the payoff. If you would train your brain to put these things, God's things, in your mind, you are going to experience his peace. Okay? And the reason why he spells that out is because this is the first line of defense. This is how the enemy gets us off track. It starts in your brain. Now, we talked about this. I want to give you the interplay, and we talked about this in the joy study, but let me break it down for you again. We are made up of a spirit, a soul, and a body. How many of you guys can verify that? Raise your hand. The rest of you are scaring me. You're like apparitions. Woo! No, that's what we are, okay? Now, the soul is made up of three parts, okay? The spirit, soul, and body. That's your mind or your thoughts, okay? Your will, the decisions you make based upon your thoughts going through your brain, and your emotions, and your emotions, if you notice, our emotions produce appropriate emotions based upon the decisions you make going in your mind, your thoughts, right? And so as we saw before, if you start thinking about scary things, guess what? You start to feel scary. The emotions kick in. They don't know what's real, what's not. You start to think about something that makes you angry. So it could be something that happened five years ago, right? Your emotions don't know if it's real or not. It makes you what? Oh, angry all again. Okay, that's how it works. But he says, if you would stop putting that junk in your brain and start putting God's things in your brain, that which is right, lovely, excellent, praiseworthy, true, et cetera, et cetera, guess what? You experience the peace of God. And this is something we don't realize. Oftentimes we deal with the after effects. We go, man, I started out great today. I was in total peace. I got God's joy. Things are awesome. Next thing I know, I'm just, you have to, I call it back up the train. Where did you go wrong in your mind? Somebody got you to stop putting that which is right, lovely, excellent, praiseworthy. You made a decision from some input to start thinking about something that was not true, not right, not lovely. Not, and, guess, and so guess what? Your emotions don't know any different. They start producing it. You got the peace, but you got tricked into short-circuiting it, and your emotions will produce the tape that you play in your head. Now, I've been waiting all week to give you a visual demonstration of how your emotions, my emotions, do not know the difference between what is real, what is make-believe. And yes, believe it or not, no matter what it is, we go in our head, what tape we play, our emotions will produce the appropriate response. How many of you guys like snakes? Really? That many snake lovers? Okay, the rest of you, hang in there. Because I'm going to show you an actual video clip of a guy who, he didn't just come across a snake. This is a big snake. This is a big freaky snake. Okay, so if you don't like snakes, put the seatbelt on or something there in the pew. Okay, all right, you ready for this? Here it goes. Here's, here's the snake. Waiting all week to share this. Let's, let's watch. prayer wasn't that cool oh i love that <sighs> don't you feel like you had a whole cup of coffee right now your adrenaline's going you're feeling amped up and all that stuff what a, that's awesome okay now folks i was watching purposely out of the corner of my eye i would say a good 90 to 95 percent of you went like this <laughs> but how many guys can verify today the snake wasn't really going to get you right right 
But your emotions didn't know that. That's how our emotions work. I bring this up by way of example. It doesn't matter if you play a tape of a snake on this screen or a tape of a snake in this screen. And it could be even a tape that of an event, maybe it was real, but it happened five years ago, 15 years ago, five minutes ago. It's not right now. But the moment you play the tape, what's your emotions do? They don't know the difference between what's now, what's then, what's whenever. They don't know if it's real or not. They will produce the appropriate result. Do you see how it works? And this is why Paul says, listen, are you tired of ah? You don't have to. Christ has already given us his peace. But here's how it happens. You need to pay attention to your mind. Don't let somebody trick you into getting a misplaced mind and thinking about all the wrong things because your emotions don't know the difference and they're going to produce it. As simplistic as that is, for some of us, that's a revolution. Because our world tells us we're a slave to our emotions. And the only power you have over your emotion is some sort of chemical. Not according to the word. It starts in your mind. And you simply need to think on that which is right, excellent, trustworthy, praiseworthy, true. Right? And you didn't have to get a prescription for it. Isn't that awesome? So the question is, that's how it works, and we, uh, moment by moment, you need to pay attention to what goes into your brain, okay? So the question is, well, how does the enemy get us to do this, okay? How does he get us? I mean, we start out great with Jesus. I'm assuming we have our morning devotion. We're giving him the first of our day, not the last of the day. He's not a spare tire in the trunk, only when emergencies happen, but we're maintaining that joy. We're maintaining that peace. We're having a great time with him, and then somewhere along the day, it happens, right? All of a sudden, it's like, whoa, what happened? I'm all frantic. I'm all freaked out. What's going on? I'm just like the rest of us. I am troubled, even though Jesus said I don't have to be. He does it in a couple of ways. We only get time for the first one, and then Lord willing, next week we'll get the second half. But believe it or not, see, it's a mind game. It's a mind game. And the first way the enemy gets control of our minds to get us to think about the wrong things, believe it or not, is with music. Music is one of the easiest ways he gets to grab control of our brain to think about the wrong things that short-circuit the peace of God. Now, let's remind ourselves biblically what, is, what should be the purpose of music. Did you know a famous composer, Sebastian Bach, he said the sole purpose of music is to glorify God. It's not what it's being used for today. But let's just take a look at one passage that clearly tells us uh, what the purpose of music is for. Psalm 150, verse 3 through 6, Praise him, God, with the sounding of the what? The trumpet, praise him with the harp and the lyre. Praise him with the tambourine and dancing. Praise him, God, with the strings and the flute. Praise him with the clash of cymbals. In fact, man, really get into it. Praise him with resounding cymbals. In fact, let everything that has breath. How many guys breathing right now? Okay, because if somebody's beside you and they're not breathing, help them out. Okay, but no, seriously, guess what? If you got breath, here's what you need to be doing with music in your mouth. You need to be praising God. Oh, I love this. By the way, um, praise the Lord. In case you forgot, <laughs> according to the scripture, the best thing we could ever do with music is what? Praise God with it. He loves music, right? And he, instruments, I don't care what it is, okay? Uh, I guess eventually if you could do the washboard and spoons and stuff, you could probably pull it off too. But the, it's, it's, whatever it is, man, you need to get busy praising God with it. Now, listen, it's not just an opportunity for you and I to use the music and the songs to get our hearts to worship Jesus Christ, and glorify him. Did you know that's why we have music every Sunday? It's not a show, you know. It's not for your entertainment. Oh, that was a seven this week. Last week it was a 9.2. No. The job of the worship team is to provide an atmosphere with music 
and lyrics that's conducive for us to individually worship God through music. Did you know that? Okay. But it's not only an opportunity for us to glorify God. Believe it or not, when we are worshiping God with music, where's our mind? Think about it. There's a side effect to this too for us. It's for him primarily, but there's a side effect. When you're singing true praise songs that are right, excellent, praiseworthy, trustworthy, true about God, where is your mind? It's on God. And guess what? Bang! The peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Because your mind, with music, is being put on the things of God. Okay? So the enemy knows this. He's not stupid. Right? He knows exactly what he's doing. How am I going to get these people to short-circuit the peace of God? Right? I'm going to grab control of their brains. Well, how am I going to get control of their brains? Well, I'm going to control their music. And then I'm going to spread one of the biggest lies, even in the church. Ah, uh, music doesn't affect me. It has no effect on me whatsoever. It's just, I just like the beat. No. There's lyrics to it. There's words to it that go into your brain. And you start playing a tape in your brain. And then that's going to start producing the appropriate response. So what he does is he takes us, and we're supposed to be thinking moment by moment, even with music, that which is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy, and we experience the peace of God. You maintain it. Put on some godly praise music. It's awesome. woo Keep it going. But nope. We bought in that lie. It doesn't affect us. And so he uses music and gets us to listen to it every day, that which is horrible, deceitful, unholy, gross, disgraceful, rotten, and sinful, and we wonder why we feel that way. We used to joke about this in Bible college because we'd hear people pulling up to church services or to Bible college, and they're playing like Metallica. And they get out of the guy and say, oh, yeah, you're in the frame of mind to worship Jesus. <laughs> what? The words produce a tape, and that's what the enemy does, okay? And you might be out there because I've heard this too over years in uh, ministry. Well, Pastor Billy, you don't have to worry about me. Okay, I listen to some secular music, okay, but... Um, I don't listen to that hard rock stuff. Yeah, that's from Satan, right? I don't listen to that rap, that street rap stuff. That's horrible, man. I, I listen to country. <laughs> and that's supposed to be, okay, excuse me, maybe years ago. But have you listened? I'm not making this up, folks. I, this is another thing I couldn't wait to share beside the snake. I'm going to share with you some actual country music. This is just the titles. Okay, you tell me this is going to produce the peace of God in your brain. You start playing this tape in your head, okay? I'm not making this up. Actual country music titles. Oh, yeah, Irene. Here it comes. You ready? Okay. <laughs> Here's one that says, hey, how can I miss you if you won't go away? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's really peaceful. One says this, hey, you're the reason our kids are so ugly. <laughs> I'm so, hey, they're, I, I'm not making this up, okay? Uh, yeah, that'll start a fight every single time. Hey, I've been flushed from the bathroom. You're hard. <laughs> Excuse me? Hey, my wife ran off with my best friend. I sure do miss him. <laughs> hey, I wouldn't take her to a dog fight because I'm afraid she'd win. That ain't bringing peace to your marriage, buddy. Okay, let alone singing it. Hey, I don't know whether to kill myself or go bowling. You sing that in your head. Why do I feel so horrible? And then have a strange desire to go to Samstown. <laughs> hey, I want to whip your cow. That is, Bobby, that's sick. You want to beat up a chicken, you do it. You run over the car, I don't care, but don't you miss with cow. <laughs> that's a song, man. I want to whip your cow. 
right? Yeah, I feel close to God right now. You got to be kidding me. Hey, I would, I would have wrote you a letter, but I couldn't spell yuck. <laughs> Go to school, okay? Hey, I'd rather have a bottle in front of me than a frontal lobotomy. How about neither, okay? Uh, one's this, hey, I'm just a bug on the windshield of life, Bobby. <laughs> hey, Billy broke my heart at Walgreens, and I cried all the way to Sears. <laughs> hey, stop off at 7-Eleven, get a Slurpee, and knock it off. You know what I'm saying? You just, well, what? <laughs> Why am I so depressed? A couple more. She thinks my tractor's sexy. Cletus, you got a big problem. Okay, I'm sorry. With all due respect, excuse me. Hey, if the phone don't ring, it's not me calling you up. Think of the logic of that. Don't you just want to grab that guy and say, listen, dude, the phone ain't ringing. It ain't nobody calling nobody up. Right? I'm sorry. Just take it too literally. Hey, if I'd shot you when I wanted to, I'd be out by now. And you play that over and over. Hey, if I can't, you can't live without me, why ain't you dead yet? What? Hey, you're the hangnail of my life, and I can't bite you off. <laughs> and one more, dear, is this, hey, mama, get the hammer. There's a fly on papa's head. <laughs> and that's precisely why, Ryan, that papa's been dead for 14 years now, because we got that fly of papa. <laughs> what? I just listened to country music, Pastor Billy. <laughs> now, I say that with humor. But can we be honest? Folks, that's not clean. Is that right? Is that lovely? Is that noble? Is that excellent? Is that praiseworthy? Okay. Uh, you're supposed to be thinking about that stuff, but no, you're listening to things about marital breakups, bad relationships, and beating your head, your dad with a hammer on the head. It ain't going to produce airene. Now, the irony is, see, we play that game in the church as adults. But did you realize that Christian, or just teenagers in general, not just Christian teenagers, they actually admit that music has horrible effects on you? And did you know that actually the American Medical Association admits, yes, it does. In fact, it is a greater influence on the minds of people than television. Listen to this. Music, they say, is as is a powerful as television for people in general. The American Medical Association concluded that music is a greater influence in the life of teenagers than TV. The average teenager listens to 10,500 hours of music during the years between just the 7th and 12th grades. It surpasses TV as an influence in their lives. And one person stated, let's be honest, songs are more than mere mirrors of society. They are a potent force in the shaping of society. Studies have found that consumers of music with harmful themes, that which is not lovely, excellent, praise, okay, Listen, increases discomfort in family situations, a preference for friends over family, and poor academic performance. Oddly enough, surveys have also found that, listen, more teenagers than adults believe that music encourages anti-social behavior. The modern music. Some uh, popular music remains part of the cultural virus that can lead to some young people committing violence. The American Medical Association, they admit it. Teenagers admit it. It affects their behavior, okay? And one doctor testified before a U.S. Senate hearing that tons of research has been done, and here's what he said to them. He says, music, here's the synopsis, music affects our moods, our attitudes, our emotions, and our behavior. And isn't that ironic? We play games as adults, but at least teenagers admit it. Yeah, it affects our behavior. It affects our emotions. Why? Because it's a tape. Put to music. I could play the snake one again and put music to it. You want to do that? 
no, Master Billy, no. <laughs> right? But that's all it is, right? It's a tape with lyrics put to music that you play again and again and again and again. But for you, die. Hey, give it up for the Aaron and Bobby show. That's right. Man, I tell you what, somebody apparently doesn't want this out, but I'm going to get it out. Yes, you can have that. Uh, thank you. I'm sorry, you forgot to say Alex. But anyway, that's right. Uh, but anyway, but this is not the game that we play. We act like, you know, it doesn't really affect us, and et cetera, blah, blah, blah. But I want to try to put the nail in the coffin for our own benefit, by the way. Okay, so we could realize, folks, yes, it really does affect us. But I'm just going to take a bunch of, a smattering of some genre, some older, some newer, some this, some that, and you tell me of just some of the popular music out there, if you put this in your head every single day as a Christian, if it's going to produce the peace of God. Let's be honest for a moment. Let's take a look. got a schnooker on that one. A lot of people think they were talking about Jesus. Uh-uh. Well, you don't realize Krishna, Krishna, okay, was the uh, Hindu god, okay, false Hindu god, who by definition means the lord of destruction, the serpent of eternity, the prince of demons, and you think repeating that over and over again is going to produce peace? You guys know my testimony. I tried committing suicide three different times. Twice with pills, shot myself in the chest once. Why? What was I listening to? I did what the music back in the day told me to do. Just kill yourself into suicide. You don't think it has an effect on you? Yes, it does. Okay? But who's kidding who? This is all the enemy's got to do. He can't take away your salvation, but he can get you to be a bad witness. Walking around, <laughs> he's already given you his peace. But all he had to do was to get you to fall for the lie. Music has no effect on me and start cramming this stuff and play that tape again and again. That glorifies running with the devil. I don't care if I go to hell, smoke weed, kill people, kill yourself. 
and you wonder why you feel rotten. Is that really legalistic or is it just common sense? How bad do you want to maintain God's peace? You pay attention to what goes in your brain, and that includes the music that you put in there. And you might be thinking, well, come on, Pastor Bill, you mean to tell me that music, really? I got, I got snookered that easy just by that? Yeah. The enemy's not stupid. He knows exactly what he's doing, guys. Okay? But I want to I put the nail in the coffin as we get ready to close, and, and, and let's go back and prove the point to Martin Luther. Remember the story you opened up with? Okay? Again, you've got to understand Martin Luther's, you know, that was an amazing statement. My mind's captive to the word of God, and he took his stand. You don't understand what he was up against. And for him to make that amazing statement with such great veracity and peace. Here's the context of what was going on. The Catholic Church at that time had a complete stranglehold on the Western world. And if anybody dared disagree with their false teachings, they would not just imprison you. They would not just torture you. They would kill you. And I'm not making this up. And I can't share all the techniques they did to people. I looked them up this week. It almost made me sick. So I can't even share all of them. But if you disagreed with the Catholic Church, here's some of the typical things they would do to you. They would burn you alive. They'd beat you to death. They'd suffocate you. They'd drown you. They'd put you on a rack, pull your body apart. They'd crush your head. And they had special instruments that strategically tore your flesh off. Why did I say that? Because that's the context that Martin Luther makes his amazing statement, no, I will not recant. My mind is held captive to the word of God. And he was at peace. Watch this. You have not answered the question. You, Martin Luther, will not draw into doubt those things which the Catholic Church has judged already. Now give your answer. Yes or no. Will you recant or will you not? Since your majesty and your lordships desire a simple reply, I will answer. Unless I am convinced by scripture and by plain reason and not by popes and councils who have so often contradicted themselves. My conscience is captive to the word of God. To go against conscience is neither right nor safe. I cannot, and I will not, recant. Here I stand. In total peace against the people who understand the context would burn you alive, suffocate you, drown you, pull your body apart on a rack, crush your head, tear your flesh off if you didn't recant. And he was up there, our brother in Christ, with peace. How? As we close, I don't think it's by chance. As he said, he was obviously a theologian. He was a student of God's word. You put that in your mind, right? Excellent, lovely, praiseworthy. But Martin Luther was also a musician. Did you know that? Martin Luther was a, a great songwriter. Martin Luther wrote many of the hymns that we sing today. And, and, and many of them obviously were great peace producers. 
In fact, one of his most famous ones goes like this. A mighty fortress is our God. Put this tape in your head when you're facing that crowd. A mighty fortress is our God. He's a bulwark never failing. And though this world with devil's fields should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God has willed his triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, but we don't tremble for him. His rage we can endure, for his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. Oh, the body they may kill, but God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever a mighty fortress of peace. Is our God. Had a good tape going through his head. Now, I know we go through some storms and some circumstances, I don't necessarily think that any of our circumstances are quite as bad as that. But here's the good news. It has nothing to do with legalism. It's common sense. How bad do you want God's peace in your storm? And maybe you're not going through one now, but live long enough, you'll go through another one. But wouldn't you want to be able to face your storm with that kind of peace and conviction? You can't. Just don't let anybody trick you into misplacing your mind on that which is horrible, gross, deceitful, rotten, so you'll start to feel that way. Get back to God's word, put some godly music going through your brain, and maintain it every single day, and not just you'll experience the peace of God, but you'll be a powerful witness to our frantic, crazy world around us, drawing people to Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's be that church, okay? Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and Get a Life Ministries, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, before you go, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? You see, here's the problem. The Bible says that nobody automatically gets to go to heaven. And that's because God is holy and we are not. The Bible says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness or the wrong things that we have done have separated us from God. And the wages of our sin or unholiness uh, means that we deserve to die and receive God's judgment to go to hell and not heaven. In other words, we're disqualified for heaven. And that's because God being holy and us being not, the two cannot mix. So what are we going to do? Well, that's bad enough. The other problem is we don't even want to admit this dilemma, even though God already knows it all. And so out of love, God gave us something called the Ten Commandments to show us that we're really disqualified for heaven. We're not holy, we're not perfect like him. Uh, let's take a, a look at just a few of those uh, here today. Uh, the Bible says, the Ten Commandments says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. How many of you ever told a lie before? Well, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you just did. Okay, let's be honest, folks. Let's not tell another lie. We've all lied. Well, believe it or not, that disqualifies you for heaven. That's how holy God is. He is the truth. He does not lie. And so that makes us a liar. Another of the Ten Commandments says you shall not steal. Okay? How many have ever taken anything without permission? Well, all of our hands should have went up at that one. Uh, we've already said we're a bunch of liars. Okay, well, we've all done that. And it doesn't have to be a bank. Uh, it could be a pencil in the third grade. Uh, that means that we're a thief. Okay? The Bible says that God is so holy, even his name is holy. And that's why one of the Ten Commandments says you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. Hey folks, isn't it ironic how uh, now the blessed name of Jesus Christ, the Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which men might be saved, Jesus Christ, has now become a cuss word, 
Folks, the Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy, okay? And folks, let's be honest. We've used God's name in vain uh, before. The Bible also says in the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus takes the standard even higher. He says, listen, it's not just physical adultery. He says, surely I tell you that if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. God looks at the heart. One more out of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible says that the sin of hatred is akin to the sin of murder. You, in other words, in your heart, wish they were dead. You pulled the trigger, if you will, in your own heart. And the Bible says God sees that and it's just as bad. He knows the mind. He knows the hearts, the thoughts, and the intents that we have. Folks, that's just five out of the Ten Commandments. How are you doing? Not very well. None of us can keep them. They're God's x-ray to show us that we're disqualified. And so when, not if, your time comes, because we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, you're going to have to stand before God. And you're going to have to uh, say who you really are. He already knows. Hey, God, let me into heaven. Uh, I'm, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer, adulterer, and a murderer. Folks, the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's the problem. Here's the good news. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him, what he did on the cross, on our behalf, that we will not perish, we will not go to hell, but he will give us the gift of eternal life. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of all of our sins. It's something that we don't earn. We, we, we can't earn. It's a gift, the Bible calls it. And a gift cannot be earned. He was taking the death penalty in our place. That's what the cross was of the day. And that if we would just ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins and believe that in our heart that God raised him from the grave, showing that his death is satisfactory to God to forgive us of all of our sins, no matter what we've done, the Bible says we shall be saved. Uh, the Apostle Paul says that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the grave, we will be saved. Let me give you a common analogy of what God's doing and what he did for us with Jesus dying on the cross on our behalf. Uh, in life, we know that people uh, can be sentenced for a crime uh, to where they're actually on death row. Uh, the courtroom scene has completely finished. The gavel has already sounded. Uh, they are going to jail and they're just awaiting their time before they go to the death penalty. Uh, as they're sitting there in the jail cell, uh, it, it's a proven fact they did what they did. Everybody knows it. They're just waiting for that time for their uh, number to come up, so to speak, and walk down that hall and be executed. Uh, there's nothing they could do to reverse their crime. No amount of good works in that jail cell can reverse what they've done. It's too late. It's over. But believe it or not, there's one way that people even today can get off a of death row. And that's if the one in authority, the governor, if he were to, out of mercy and kindness, nothing that the person did, because they don't earn it and they don't deserve it, and they can't earn it, if he would grant them what's called a pardon, out of the kindness of his heart, he has the authority to grant them a pardon and absolve them completely of their crimes uh, against the state. And did you know that there's actually been people that this has happened to, that the governor, out of mercy, has granted them a pardon as a gift, and they've gone down to the jail cell, and handed that person, extended it through the bars, here, I'm granting you a pardon. If you would just receive it, you can go free right now. 
And did you know that there's actually been people who've said, no, I don't want your pardon. And so what happened is of their own doing, even though they had a way out, they still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, can I tell you something? That's what God did for us with Jesus dying on the cross. He sent his son to take the death penalty in our place. He, God, has the authority to grant us through Jesus a complete pardon. And every day that you're still alive, God is extending to you spiritually this pardon. But a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it by faith. Won't you do that today? Won't you call upon the name of Jesus Christ? Ask him to forgive you of all of your sins, to trust in his work on the cross, to pardon us from all of our crimes, our sins against God. God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. But there's only one way to heaven. It's Jesus. There's only one way to get off a death row. It's through the cross of Jesus Christ. Won't you do that right now? Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and, and Get a Life Ministries. And if there's anything that we can do for you, uh, please don't hesitate uh, to contact us. Uh, our number, our information will uh, come up here on the screen shortly. And uh, uh, if there's anything we could do for you, please don't hesitate to let us know. Uh, thank you for uh, joining us. And uh, remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless. Thank you for watching this presentation from Sunrise Baptist Church. If you would like to send us a letter or any other kind of postage, you can reach us at 1780 Betty Lane, Las Vegas, Nevada, 89156. For more information, you can give us a call at 702-452-8599 or email us at bcrone at getalifemedia.com or you can visit our website at www.getalifemedia.com. Billy Crone and this ministry can also be found on Facebook and Twitter. Join us for services at www.sunriselv.com.